Going Linux episode 358. Listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want to send us feedback, our email address is goinglinux at gmail.com and our voicemail is 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Hey, Bill. Hey, Larry. How are you today? I am doing fine. We have a lot of email this time around and a voicemail. So you want to get right into it? Uh, yeah, I just want to say that it's starting to feel like Christmas. We've got a lot of snow up here in New Mexico. Oh, yes. I bet the temperature's dropped. Yeah, It's about 26 <laughs> degrees right now, so uh, I'm inside where it's warm. Yeah, it's a it's a chilly what uh, sixty three or something here in California. So it's oh. <laughs> it, temperatures have dropped here as well, but wow, uh, not to just, the same it's degree. Sixty three. Hey, don't forget yeah. that sweater. Yes, exactly. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's my winter jacket is a sweater. Yeah, the winter jacket. Yeah, <laughs> mine's a parka. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyhow, we shall jump right into our All first right. uh, like a plan. voicemail. And this one's from Paul, who provided not only the voicemail, but an email to go along with it. So I'll read that first. This is about Boot Partition Saga question answered and the whole story in audio feedback. That was the title of his email. He said, hi, Larry and Bill. Thanks to both of you for all your work in supporting the Linux community. I have learned so much about Linux by just listening to Going Linux over the years. Keep up the good work and thanks for keeping the tenor of the show family friendly. I so appreciate that. Attached is the answer to Bill's question about the EXT2 file system for the boot partition and a comment regarding Larry's analysis of Peter's problem in the last listener feedback. My clip is about four minutes. Sorry about the length, but I included both snippets from episode 356, so the context is there. If you can't use it, no problem. I won't tell you how long I spent just getting four minutes of audio together. <laughs> kind of embarrassing. This is tough work. Paul from North Texas. Well, thanks, Paul. And uh, yeah, it's a little more work than you might think going into it. But, uh, you know, once you get used to it, it's straightforward making audio recordings. And now you've got some experience. Maybe you could do some recording for us. Anyway, <laughs> all joking aside, here is his voicemail. Hello, Larry and Bill. This is Paul from North Texas. Thank you very much for your comments on the last listener feedback, episode number 356. I wanted to give you a couple of more pieces of information, and maybe we can put this to rest. And it was a strange problem. The, the problem I was experiencing that I isolated to the boot partition was the fact that, this, that I could not update the system. When I went into the update manager, there was a a dialog box that said it couldn't remove a certain file and so it failed to update. Well, further information as I as I began to look into this, it was the update manager was attempting to remove an old kernel image. I went into the boot partition, took a look at it, and in fact there were several kernel images and the boot partition was running out of space. I did attempt to remove the kernel images using Synaptic, and for some reason, Synaptic was telling me it could not do that. I went into the Update Manager to try to remove old kernels, and Update Manager failed to do that. There was something going on. I don't know what was going on, but you all asked me this question. Uh, and the boot partition is 300 megabytes, not gigabytes. Yeah, so it's it's fairly small. It's EXT2 for some reason. Hmm, strange. Yeah, that okay. is weird, isn't it? Yeah. Huh. I wonder why he's using EXT2. But yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there's a reason. Yeah, let us know what the reason is, Paul. Because I mean, everything else looks really uh, good, but uh, just out of curiosity, why are you using EXT2 for your boot partition? 
Now the reason that I was using the ext2 file system was because I was attempting to make the home partition a standalone partition. I, was, I, I didn't want to load Linux Mint the way the distribution would have loaded it. I wanted to select the home partition, set it aside so that I could update my system without disturbing the home partition. So in order to do that, I thought I had to partition the entire drive for every part that the operating system needed. In other words, the boot partition, swap, system file, and home partition. I checked an internet site that suggested the size of the boot partition about 350 megabytes and to use the ext2 file system. I don't know why it said to do that. I just followed the direction. So in order to isolate the home partition, I partitioned the drive that way. Now, while you were running Peter's comment, you made this statement, Larry. And you add more than two kernels into that partition area, you run out of space, which is exactly what Paul was seeing and obviously what Peter was seeing as well. So you can either, as Peter suggests, expand the boot partition and the size of it so that there's a little more space using gparted and or you can simply uh, delete the old partitions or excuse me delete the old kernels before you uh, upgrade to a new kernel so uh, fortunately when you're using linux mint they make that quite easy now i attempted to resize the boot partition in gparted and as you know you have to go to the far right side of the partition in gparted and you start having to move it back. So you start with the home, then you get to the system, then you get to the swap. The very first partition is the boot partition. Well, you can resize the home. You can resize the system file partition. You can't resize the swap partition. So I don't know how you resize the boot partition in Gparted. I thought if I could make that boot partition larger, I could let more kernel images come in there and maybe extend the life of that drive partition that way but I couldn't resize the boot partition in Gparted. So that was my dilemma. In a nutshell, I had to start all over again, but it was an interesting problem. I don't know why this happened this way. Thanks a lot for discussing it, and I really appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. That was really good. You did a good job. Yeah, and you were talking about the resizing of the boot partition and why the gparted wouldn't let you do that i suspect and without hearing anything different i'll just go with this um i suspect you were trying to run gparted with your linux system booted so um i suspect that's why it's not going to let you resize certain partitions you really have to put gparted on a usb drive um either partition magic or some other bootable drive and then boot to that so that you can resize the partitions on your hard drive from a running system that's not that system right so i i'm suspecting that's what was going on um other than that it should have resized it without too much trouble as we've said and provided links in the past sometimes there's a little fiddling to do to make that happen but uh I'm glad things have worked out for you, and sorry you had to start from scratch. Yeah, done that once or twice. Yep. Oh, well. <laughs> At least it worked out. It did work out. And I really appreciate you sending that audio um, uh, reply, and it was really good. Yeah. So our next email comes from Greg, who provided a minion response for Paul. Hi, Larry and Bill. I have experienced the same problem that Paul describes in episode 354 with the slash boot partition filling up. Here are two ways to clean up the slash boot partition, one from the Linux Mint GUI and the other from the command line. From the GUI, open the Update Manager, pull down the View tab, select Linux Kernels. You will get a warning here that you will need to acknowledge. Note. At the top of the window, the kernel version you are currently using. You will find in the table all the installed kernels as well as one that you are currently using. If you click on the installed kernel listing, you will find the option to delete it to pop up. My recommendation is to remove all the old kernels one at a time, oldest first, until you 
are left with the current one and the latest one before the current one as a safety measure. If you just did a kernel update, you could also find a newer kernel listed as, as installed than the one you are currently using. Keep the, that one too. From the command line, open a terminal win window, type sudo apt auto remove, enter your password, tip. When you are in there, you might as well type sudo apt auto clean too, just to clean up the other cruft. Regards, Greg, W-A-F-J-K. That doesn't seem too hard, Larry. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that I used to do when I used to worry about the old kernels filling up my hard drive. And uh, I don't worry about it too much anymore, but that's kind of the strategy I use. Start with the oldest one and delete it until you have one prior to the one you're currently using. And, you know, if you've done a recent update, yeah. maybe you've got one later than the one you're currently using and leave that in there too. I just noticed that the uh, command line way seems quicker. Oh yeah, that's usually the case. The command yeah. line is quicker than anything else because all you have to do is type. The, make it sound really simple. As long as you know what to type, you're cool on the command line. That's the <laughs> yeah. that's the tricky part. Uh, but once you're, you know, once you're working in the command line, you get to to know these kinds of things through repetition and uh, that kind of thing. So command yeah. line is quicker, I found. But the graphical user interface version. Makes more sense to most people, I think. Yeah, I yeah, it, it, it does. And, you know, kind of it's funny is when you first start and you're really scared of the command line, you always try to find the uh, the user, the graphical user interface to do it. But over time, you're like, man, I can just do this with like two commands and terminal. So you start moving more to, oh, let me just do these couple commands on the terminal. I'm done. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny how that's kind of a spectrum. You start kind of scared to use a command line, and then just over use, you get to get a little more comfortable with it. So thanks, Greg. That was really great. Yes. Okay, uh, moving on to Sergio's email about Google Plus alternatives and a small tip for gaming. So this is one for everybody. Yay. Hello, Bill and Larry. My name is Sergio. I have been a listener for a long time. First of all, thank you very much for your work. I find it very useful and interesting, so please keep doing it. Well, we will, Sergio, until <laughs> something gives, I guess. Uh, this email is just to give you an alternative to Google+. I found surfing the internet. Discourse. Uh, and he's got a link to discourse.org. It's an open source forum that you can install on your servers. Actually, it seems to be an open source implementation of services like Discuss, but I haven't tried it myself, so I have no idea how it performs or even if it covers your needs. But as you said, you were looking for options to replace Google Plus before the service goes down. I thought it could be useful for you. Well, thank you, Sergio. Um, Aside from this, just a small suggestion for Bill. Lutris, one of the programs you said that you were using Play on Linux to play Guild Wars 2. And I don't remember if you ever said that you have tried Lutris or not. Lutris is basically a game library management, something like Steam or itch.io, but it's far better than them. It handles the installation of games, both native and emulated, for example, it manages the download and setup of almost any open source game without worrying about libraries and dependencies, and also is able to download and install and configure Windows games like Play on Linux, but better. I'd say that Proton is copying what Lutris does. Because of each Windows game Lutris downloads, the version of Wine that performs better adjusts the configuration of DXVK, if the game uses DirectX, and installs all the tweaks the game needs. If you haven't tried yet, I strongly recommend that you do so. And nothing else, please forgive my mistakes as English is not my native language. And as I've said at the beginning of the email, thank you for your work. Best regards. Sergio. And again, Sergio, I would never have known that English wasn't your <laughs> yeah. native language. Uh, I didn't make any corrections to your email to post it in here, and I read it just as you said it. So 
Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, it sounded great to me. He writes yep. better than I do, and Larry has seen some of the stuff I write, so great job, Sergio. <laughs> yes. And what about Lutris? Have you used it, Bill? You, no, I haven't you? tried Lutris. I've decided the easiest way just to get everything to work is I unfortunately just keep that small Windows partition and just put my games that, I, that won't run easily on Linux over there. So when I need to go get my... Uh, gaming on i just go ahead and uh boot into it play my game boot out go back to linux so it just seems it's a lot less work but i loot uh, lutris i mm -hmm. will definitely look at it because if it is as easy as he says it was uh, maybe i won't need uh uh windows to play my games so w we shall see windows only gets a reprieve because i i need to uh use it to play games which yes you need to game yeah i need to game <laughs> okay it's a requirement so thanks sergio i'll look into lutris and see how it works and uh, might try installing a couple uh, windows games and see how it works so our next email comes from rick and he asks about mounting shares over openvpn hi guys i have a problem that i hope either you guys or one of the great minions can help me with I connected with a recent podcast you have done on backups. I back up photos and documents to a friend's Synology server using OpenVPN for very many years. Now, going Linux, I want to be able to use a file sync application, free file sync, to back up and look at the folder differences. Right now, I use Nautilus, which does mount the shares correctly over VPN to copy the new folders containing files, but deleting a selected few far side files is difficult, tedious, and prone to error when I want to mirror on the far side. Nautilus knows how to mount these shares uh, on the other side of the VPN, but I need to find out how to do it. I tried all the combinations of sudo mount commands using slash tcifs and loads of different other attributes but i can't get it to work i can mount shares successfully on my synergy nas correctly with no problem i noticed that nautilus puts its mount points in folders entitled gvfs I'm wondering whether CIFS can't mount over VPN and GVFS can, but I'm having trouble finding out how to put a command string together using GVFS. Any ideas, please? Thanks and best regards, Rick. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I don't so know. <laughs> on the other side of a VPN, uh, it it may be that they've got the security set up on the other side of the VPN so that you can't uh, mount it in the way that you're trying to do that. Mm -hmm. You might want to talk to, send a message to, or otherwise communicate with the people that control the server that you're trying to um, to connect to, see if they have any tips, or even if they allow what you're trying to do. Uh, it's not something that I have tried to do myself, so I don't have any experience with this. Hopefully, um, the, the folks who manage the server that you're trying to connect to will have some, some guidance for you on that, Rick. Yeah, I, I've never tried anything like that myself. So uh, he's got a lot of things going on there. If you really kind of uh, break down, you got he's using OpenVPN. He's trying to, uh, wow, over Synergy. And yeah, but I think you should follow Larry's advice because <laughs> I, I could just rattle on about nothing, but because I have no clue how you would do that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I hope uh, some, they can help you, Rick. Yeah, I do too. All right. Uh, Don provided some feedback on moving to Linux. Just a little feedback for you. I found your site while searching for resource information about moving away from Windows with the idea of going to Linux. After digging around, I found your podcasts on the show notes page. Confusing, but whatever. Looking through the list, I came upon the September 20th, episode 353, Moving from Windows to Linux, Part 1. My first thought was that I have found the information that I needed. Maybe I did, but I'll never know. 
as after 30 minutes, I stopped the playback. Your 20-minute diatribe, the sole purpose of which seemed to be to make you feel superior in your choice of operating system, was ludicrous in the extreme. It is clear neither of you know much about Windows 10. Frankly, if I did a podcast on how to move to Linux and gave all my non-factual perceptions of Linux from years and years of hearing how bad Linux could be and stuck strictly to urban legend scenarios, it would have sounded exactly like the first 30 minutes of your show. You might want to keep in mind that people coming to your website are looking for information about moving to the operating system you seem to feel so superior about. The last thing they want to hear is your non-factual bashing of the operating system that they are using. Not only is it unprofessional, it completely destroys your credibility. Had you done any research whatsoever, you could have made accurate comparisons between Windows and Linux. You could have told me why Linux was more user-friendly easier, less expensive, more stable, and more reasons why Linux could be better for me, rather than berate my choice of operating system. Your comments were the worst confirmation of the Linux admin stereotype, arrogant and superior. Since that is the thing I've heard for years, it is clearly true, right? Good luck to you, Don. Well, thanks for the feedback, Don. I'm not sure I agree with everything that you've said. Um, Both Bill and I have had quite a bit of experience using Windows from the days of, in my case, Windows 3.11 all the way to today's Windows 10. And I have a computer running Windows 10 in the other room that I update every once in a while uh, and power through the extended uh, reboot times and the multiple reboots and everything else that goes along with it. Um, But far be it from me to say that you know, Bill and I know anything whatsoever about Linux in our experience and really don't talk to anybody ab- about the topics that we, um, or do any research on the topics that we present here on the show. So, uh, thanks, Don. Oh, Larry. Any feedback from you, Bill? <laughs> oh, Larry. I'm trying to be nice. Uh, I'm going to try to be nice. Why? I am not an expert. I've been running Windows 3.1 all the way, probably every major and minor Windows, up to Windows 10. So let's break this down just a little bit. Uh, As everybody has listened knows that I will harsh even on Linux distributions when they are bad. Uh, There are things on Windows 10 that I don't like. Uh, I use Windows 10 to game, as I just admitted just a little while ago. So, one of the things that he says is that he didn't like our diatribe. Well, you know, that's our personal opinions, and we try to keep them as facts-based as possible. So, let's just go over a few things that I don't like and see if these are urban myths. Um, the All the advanced telemetry that you don't know what they're doing with with it. Um, it defaults to full, and you cannot, you can't shut it off. And they capture uh, under the defaults. They capture your, uh, can capture text, your voice, the amount of time that you've uh, been in an application, um, where you are, um, what your hardware looks like, what hardware, what drivers, and some of this can be useful. But I really don't need. Uh, them to know that I'm playing um, Destiny 2 for three hours a day. Uh, it's none of their business. And if and it says right in uh, in their little uh, document that you know if you have a crash, that you know they might inadvertently capture some of what you're doing uh, for diagnostic purposes. So there's a large amount. Let's go also go on to all the crapware that they install, uh, Candy Crush Saga, uh, Super whatever, Cart, uh, Minecraft. So at one time they got away from it and now they're coming back to it. Uh, Also, if the EU has said that Windows 10 in its first iteration was violating the privacy because of all this uh, data that they were gathering 
and let's just move to something more current. How about the latest um, Windows 10 version? Because they're releasing two versions of uh, two new versions of Windows every year. That's their upgrade cycle. And they're still calling it Windows 10, but you know, I guess they just decide to stop giving it numbers after a while. Uh, the last one has been horrendously bad data um, loss. Um, the media player that's built in, they they reintroduced a bug that doesn't allow the uh, uh, certain aspects of the uh, interface to work. So if you use that, you're kind of out of luck. And so let's just you know break this down. I might not know anything about Windows, but maybe, and here's an idea, uh, maybe you could give me us some specifics, because you say we did not tell you why uh, Linux was better. Well, let's go over a few of those. It's free, uh, as in freedom. It is not licensed to you. You can do anything you want to it. It's yours. Have a nice day if you want to use it to to have a self-driving car. That's great too. Um, yes, certain um, things in Linux are harder, and we've both never said any any different. Uh, a lot of times, uh, Larry and myself will uh, uh, say, "Hey guys, you need to do better." Is it more stable? Yes, I would say so. I have to restart Windows 10, but uh, I think the last time when Larry and myself were playing our little game of how long is our system up, I made like 32 days before I had to do anything. Okay, and maybe that's, I hope that's specific enough for you. Uh, I don't have it crashing. I've had driver problems in Windows 10 that they uh, Windows wants to install uh, a version of let's say my uh, driver for my graphics card and I just had this and there's a new one's been released so I download it and manually and install it but it wants to revert back to the one approved by Microsoft even though it doesn't perform as well and just another thing there is a way uh, that if you don't want to get all those nice uh, updates that if you're a home user you cannot block you can you you can put it on metered connection. One of our minions told me about that, and I did some research, and it's true. But they still push through security updates. But major feature upgrades, uh, I hear that it, it doesn't. Um, so I that that's a that's a workaround. It's not the greatest, but I would suggest uh, maybe it before you. Um, think that we're harshing on it go and i'm going to plug another podcast it's called windows weekly and paul therott and mary joe foley are a windows fanboys they love it and they have been lamenting just part of the things i've mentioned and they're even going hey microsoft this is stupid why why does uh, why are you doing this? Why have you changed how you're testing? Why are you um, pushing things out before they're ready? Why are you on such a fast upgrade schedule? Uh, because you know most businesses and people don't want to have to install a completely new Windows 10. So, off my rant, uh, Don. Thanks for the feedback, but I respectfully. Um, disagree with you and I would also say that um, I am not a Linux admin um, and uh, I am definitely not arrogant and superior because you can ask anybody in Linux uh, going Linux will tell you that I've messed up a lot of stuff and I do make mistakes but hey um, I'm sure that uh, if you uh, uh, perceive that we're harshing on it uh, maybe you should listen to some others and uh, of some other reviews because we have been harsh on uh, Linux distributions that we didn't think were good. So thanks, Don. Yeah, thanks, Don. And uh, one other podcast that I listen to on a regular basis that you might want to listen to, Don, is uh, the Mike Tech Show. And we'll have links to all this stuff in the show notes, of course. But uh, the Mike Tech Show is uh, from Mike Smith, who is a he he runs a business as uh, computer support for a lot of companies in the Philadelphia area. And 
he just listen to what he says and you can get a flavor of the kinds of issues that he runs across in supporting businesses using Windows, uh, Windows 10, Windows 8, various versions of Windows. And he supports Mac as well. He doesn't really do too much with Linux, but I listen to him to get a flavor of what's going on with the other operating systems since I only use them for my own personal use and not from a business perspective. And I'd like to understand the differences uh, there. Uh, another place, Don, that you might want to go is if you are really serious about switching to Linux and you're not just trolling us, which is a possibility, um, if you are really serious about it, you uh, you might want to read through some of the books that I've written on switching from Windows yes. and other That's operating systems to Linux. We'll have links to that in the show notes as well. And uh, in the most recent book um, around Ubuntu Mate, uh, the second edition book, you might want to steer clear of the uh, why users switch from Windows or why window users switch from Mac OS section if our comments about what people tell us is wrong with Windows and Mac OS uh, is offensive to you. Uh, just steer clear of those sections and read the rest of it. Um, that's just a couple of pages in that book. Uh, yeah. But if you are trolling us, um, all the only words I have for you is thanks for the feedback. Yeah, thanks. And uh, I'll add, I want to add one more uh, podcast that uh, Don might want to just listen to. It, uh, it's and it's, I seem like I'm giving uh, the Twit Network a lot of. Um, plugs today yeah, they got a lot of good shows yeah they do uh security now with steve gibson probably uh one of the smartest guys i know as far as what's going on um he uh did a whole podcast and podcast about why he is staying with windows 7 instead of windows 10 but beyond that he also covers security problems and hardware and stuff and it's, it's really a great show so maybe you uh should uh check that one out too if you have time and hey again appreciate you sending us feedback and uh thank you very much good luck to you okay all right so our next email comes from John. He has problems installing Ubuntu Mate. Hi, Larry and Bill. I've been a listener for several years. Thank you for all your podcasts and wonderful information that you have shared with your listeners. I have been running a desktop dual boot with Windows and Linux Mint for many years, and have had several other older machines with various types of Linux on them. I recently tried installing Ubuntu Mate on, on an HPE 0160X to dual boot with Windows 10 for my wife. Prior to installing, I repartitioned the hard drive to have three additional partitions. The uh, slash boot was 30 gigabytes uh, slash home. Home, he didn't provide a size. Yeah. Yeah. And swap was 8 gigabytes. When I went to install from the live CD, I selected something else and used the partitions that I had set up. After it was all set up, I rebooted in the machine without the live CD, and the machine went straight to Windows instead of starting up, uh, up the grub. I did some surfing and found several ideas on how to fix it and tried all of the ones that seemed appropriate to no avail. I eventually got fed up with it and nuked and paved the whole thing, and now it's an Ubuntu Mate-only machine, and my wife is satisfied with its performance, especially the security aspects. Yes, I have permission to do this before I started. Smart Good man. Good thing. Smart yeah. man. I was just hoping to dual boot so she could have options. Next, my son's Acer E5. Dash 575 is suffering terribly from Windows 10 bloatware, so I tried dual booting his machine with Ubuntu Mate and ended up with the same problem with not getting the grub to come up on startup. Partitions were 30 gigabytes EXT4 home, uh, was 110 gigabytes with XT, XTX. XXT4 and a generic storage of 200 gigabytes in NTFS and swap 8 gigabytes. I don't know what his needs are going to be with respect to school, so I hate to just to just remove 
Windows, but he's eager to start learning and using Linux, and I don't want to miss a great opportunity why he's willing to learn something new. Also, as all Linux users know, all real engineering is performed on Linux Unix machines. I didn't know if I'm constantly doing something wrong or I just happen to be buying too cheap of machines. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Thanks. Huh. Yeah, I, well, I got an idea. John, yeah, I have an idea as well. Okay, you uh, go first. Just, just a <laughs> suggestion. Uh, I'm not an idea as to what's going wrong. I don't think it has anything to do with the machines being inexpensive or not. I think this is a, an installation issue. It's possible that Grub is going to the wrong place with all the partitions you have, and I don't know what instructions you're following to try to get things set up. Uh, my recommendation is, especially if it's for someone like your son who is just starting with with Linux and wants to to use it, just let the system do its own partitioning when it's installing. So I think you said you're using Ubuntu Mate. It will provide a partitioning scheme that is pretty simple, basically one partition. Uh, and you can go ahead and and uh, you know, set up your own partition if you want, your partitioning scheme if you want. But I found that if you let the operating system do its own partitioning, it always works, uh, especially when it comes to Grub issues like this. And there are some instructions on, you know, that you can find out there on how to repair Grub and where to put it and those kinds of things. And some of them are pretty old, uh, but since Grub is pretty old, I think they're pretty straightforward <laughs> and they still apply. Um, but again, I, I would recommend that if you're doing this for other people, keep it simple. Let the operating system do its own partitioning and just run with that. And you pretty much can't go wrong with being able to boot after installing. You know, you can <laughs> go wrong, uh, you know, obviously, yeah. but uh, you're minimizing your chances by letting the the operating system figure out what the safe and sane partition scheme is. And it's one less thing you have to worry about. That's my suggestion. Stop stealing my thunder, Larry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you said for me to go first. <laughs> um, I was going to say the same, almost the exact same thing, but there was one other uh, item that he might uh, want to just look at um, is go into his, BIOS and uh, see if he's using um, legacy or um, what is that thing called again? Or UEFI or yeah, UEFI. Yeah, secure boot. Because on some machines, I found that if you change it to legacy, uh, it it works uh, on some Linuxes and and it makes it easier to install. Just an idea. Uh, I don't know, but I. I would say that since Larry stole my idea, follow Larry's uh, <laughs> suggestion. <laughs> but yeah, that that would be, uh, I'd say, uh, the best way is just uh, let Linux uh, or Ubuntu Monte just you know, do it all and go from there. Yep. Okay, on to Troy's short little email. He provides a suggestion for our forums. If you're looking for alternative forums for discussing things and sharing information, my vote would be to set up a discussion forum in Google Groups. People can consume the information the way they want, either online or by emails, either individually or in the form of a digest. A digest. They can share files and pictures without limits, and it's free. Troy, a.k.a. Jack Death. You know, Google Groups is something I hadn't even thought about. Thanks, Troy. Excellent suggestion. That is a good suggestion. Uh, we were going back and forth about this, and I never thought about that. So um, Troy gets to be the new forum minion. <laughs> yeah, good. Good. We'll have to look into that. Okay, and we have a gone Linux story, this one. From Troy, this one's really, really long. So we're going to break this one up too. And Troy is writing about the Windows business episode. And okay. he writes, listening to your recent excellent uh, episodes on moving from Windows to Linux, I heard you mention 
in there that you might be doing an episode on Linux for business. While this may not pertain specifically to business, as you know, I use Linux in business and our shop does sell computers with Windows and Linux. So this is Troy um, Jack Death, also known as okay. Jack Death, right? And he, he writes a note. I would also point out that you've mentioned several times now in different episodes that I own the business. I do not. I work for a small business owner in my area, Tony Ashour, but have been given a lot of autonomy in how I support customers and what recommendations I can make to our customers based on my experience, as long as the customer is happy and we remain profitable. He has been a great guy to work for and runs a very honest business. He is very popular and well-known in our area and has been a privilege to work for. Well, sorry, Troy, for confusing that. I think we, maybe maybe we have specifically said that you own the business. I don't think so. I think we've said it's it's your company, which I mean to say that it's the company you work at, not that you own it, but. Yeah, whatever. Uh, obviously, if it's his you're doing company, a good job there. You would, if he's, you said if it's his company, he's right. You said it's his business. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. Sorry, Troy, getting all confused around that. Um, anyway, we'll we'll try to stop saying that, or I will anyway. And so just to make things better, hey, Tony. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and thanks for giving Troy a job that he loves and yeah. gives him an opportunity to spread Linux to the masses. He wants a raise too, just saying. There, yeah, there, you, there go. you go. Uh, okay, continuing. As you know, we are primarily a service shop. We make most of our money on the inadequacies and pitfalls of Windows. Listen up, Don. However, we also sell computers and accessories. We sell 99.9% .9 Dell certified refurbished computers, so they are like new. We get full manufacturer's warranties, and we get them cheaper than new. Most Dell computers, with the exception of Alienware, work great with Linux right out of the box. When we sell a new or used computer to a customer, we don't want a customer to get a blank computer that just has Windows on it. We want them to have software that will allow them to do some of the most common daily tasks that most people do with a computer. We also want them to have proper web browsers, not uh, IE or Edge, so they have a safer browsing experience. So I typically include what we call our value-added software bundle on each computer. It's a collection of open-source software or just free software that will let them do common tasks like opening and creating zip files, PDF files, watching movies, listening to music, editing and organizing pictures, an office suite, and a collection of wallpaper backgrounds, many of which are made into a custom Windows theme that we apply to the computer. So I include things like Firefox, Google Chrome, 7-Zip, Cute PDF Writer, uh, LibreOffice, Picasa, VLC Media Player, and a couple of other odds and ends. As I have mentioned previously, when customers want to switch to Linux, we install Linux Mint. I feel it provides them with the best out-of-the-box experience and includes many useful programs by default. However, I still wanted to offer our Linux customers a selection of value-added software as well, which also includes a selection of utilities and games and such. However, the list of software I've been adding to each Linux machine has been quite a bit more extensive. I also wanted them to always have the latest and greatest versions of LibreOffice and Google Chrome web browser. The best way I know of to do this is to add the appropriate PPA to their software sources so that those programs will always show the most current versions in their software source or synaptic. To this end, I have outlined the appropriate steps, step-by-step, -step, terminal commands needed to install the entire list of applications I usually install, as well as the commands to add the appropriate PPAs for LibreOffice and Google Chrome and then install those. I find them much quicker to install the whole list from terminal rather than to do them one by one by searching in the software store. I will attach a txt file with a list of commands should you find this useful. You might be thinking why Google Chrome and not 
just have them use Chromium? Well, one of the tools we use to support our customers remotely on Windows and Linux is Chrome Remote Desktop. However, I have found that under Linux it does not work reliably, if at all, on Chromium, only on Google Chrome. Since we want to be as widely compatible with our entire customer base, we make sure they have Chrome as their primary browser and Firefox as a backup browser in case they have issues with Chrome. So Troy continues, when we set up new Linux computers, I also go through the customer system settings and tweak all kinds of little things to make their computing experience more user-friendly, to offer better aesthetics, or to provide them with additional features. For example, I put their taskbar on the top of the screen instead of the bottom as it is by default. It makes more logical sense to me to access all the menus and options from the top down instead of accessing some stuff from the top and some from the bottom. I also make the entire taskbar completely transparent with the exception of a slight drop shadow underneath. It's it just so you can barely tell it's there. I like to see the wallpaper background take up the whole screen. It gives them the impression that they have a little more screen real estate even though it's not totally true. I also add the works, workspace switcher to their taskbar and give them four workspaces to choose from. When they pick up their computer, I show them how to use it and the great multitasking benefits that can get they can get by working on um, multiple projects with different programs at the same time and being able to switch between them. At this point, they are practically wetting themselves with excitement about the feature alone. I also reconfigure their clock to show the day, month, date, and time in the 12-hour format. I install the oxygen cursor collection so they can change the color of their mouse cursor to match their current theme. It may sound small, but it's a big deal to some people. I also add the weather desklet to their desktop and configure the settings to pull the weather from their location and show a five-day forecast at any given time. This has also been a big deal for some customers. Again, a little thing that really impresses a lot of average users. I make some tweaks to the power management settings and a few other little odds and ends they don't that don't take very much time in the overall scheme of setting up a new computer once you get your routine down pat. All in all, it takes us a lot less time to install and prep a Linux machine than it does for us to prep a Windows machine. If we have a customer having unrecoverable issues with their existing computer and we have determined we must reinstall the operating system from scratch, or if the customer has decided to dump Windows in favor of Linux, when we cannot charge them per hour what it really takes to redo a computer, since they can't afford it. But we still have to charge them something reasonable to make up some of our time. So we charge $200 to redo a computer with Windows and maybe $150 to redo it with Linux. As I mentioned to you in previous discourse, we do tend to lose some money selling Linux because we don't have to sell them antivirus or cloud backup software and we tend to see these computers back in our shop much more infrequently because they tend to just work all the time. Also, most of our customers get HP Office Jet Pro printers from us which take 10x less time to install on Linux than on Windows and again just keep working. So. We have to get creative in how we make up for some of the lost revenue by selling them uh, training, tutoring, time, or something. We put we also put a bookmark in the browsers uh, to www.goinglinux.com as a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, there are some other things I was going to comment on based on your last few episodes, but much of that escapes me at the moment. I will have to make some time to sit and just listen to them again and make some notes. I will try to reply in a timely manner before your next episode, if possible. In the meantime, let me know if you guys have any questions about any of this or would, rat or would like further feedback. I'm always happy to help. Troy, a.k.a. Jack Durth, works for Home and Business Computer Services. 
<laughs> Thanks, uh, Troy. That that was yeah. really good. Yeah, very extensive. And uh, although he has sent us the script he uses to install the added value-added software for Linux and the Chrome browser and the latest version of LibreOffice. Uh, we're not going to include that in the show notes. It's a bit lengthy, but if you're interested, just drop, drop us a line and we'll send that off to you if you, if you really want it. But it's a, uh, it's a pretty straightforward script. There's a sudo apt get install and then a list of all the applications. And then the Chrome browser, there's a separate, uh, wget uh, command to get it and to install it and then uh, adding the PPAs for Chrome and for LibreOffice to uh, make sure that you have the latest version of those. Uh, some of that applies across Linux distributions. Um, he's, as, as Troy mentioned, he's installing Linux Mint typically and the PPAs are much more necessary for some Linux distributions than others. If you're using something like Ubuntu Mate, you might be able to get away with using snaps instead of the PPAs. Uh, I, I suppose you could do that with uh, Linux Mint as well. Since snaps are a more recent development in the world of Linux, uh, and since Troy's been doing this for a long time, I think uh, you know he's got his way of doing things, and he's got his script written, and it works, so... Good. And thanks for sharing. Yeah. It's uh, very similar to a script that I have written for installing everything that I use when I uh, do a nuke and pave. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you thanks, haven't had to do that Troy. in a while. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And although uh, Ubuntu Mate 18.10 is out, I'm still on the 18.04 long-term support version. Oh, and uh, and I will be, yeah, I know, I'll be installing uh, 18.10 in a and a virtual machine just to try it out. Okay, uh, that's um, that's the end of our very long, hour and a half long episode here. <laughs> wow. Yeah, there we it's go. It's a good episode. Okay. I enjoyed that. Yeah, and lots of listener feedback this time around. Uh, and since we're at the end of our episode, our next episode will be Run Your Business on Linux Part 2. Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinks.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. Uh, we are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. For now, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.